0: So yeah, it was really heartbreaking, um, but it was one of those things where it's, when the world's trying to tell you something, you've got to kind of follow it, and I don't know how I got out of that situation, um, the COVID situation back in the UK, but to watch what's happened over the last 12 months there has been heartbreaking you know, for not just people in, uh, in my mates in Liverpool, but for everyone I know in the UK, so you know, I don't think there's any better place in the world to be right now with, uh, with this COVID situation than in Melbourne, so... From something terrible, you know, something quite amazing has happened, so very lucky.
1: This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. The impact of the last 12 months on many lives has been monumental. There have been many Australians abroad coming home to be closer to family, while some are still trying to secure flights. There are others that came back to Australia and had to leave the foundations and lives they had built behind and begin new lives down under with uncertainty hovering over them the entire time. Anthony Power is the owner of the Fitzroy Feast. Anthony, how are you going? G'day Huck, how are you? Good. It's good to have you on the show. You've had, like many people, had a hell of a 12 months and I really look forward to hearing what's happened in your world. But just before the pandemic, you were living in London and you'd been there for many years building a career. Um, yep. Can you just tell us about that period of time and coming back to Australia just as the pandemic had sort of landed?
0: Yeah, sure. Well, yeah, so I, I moved to um, the UK in 2005. Um, from, I'm from Melbourne originally, but uh moved to, moved to London in 2005 uh, and was working as a chef over there um, at uh, Oxo Tower, quite a well-known restaurant on the, on the Thames there. Um, and I've been there, well, obviously been there pretty much since, but um, up until, I, I was in London up until uh, 2019, where I moved up to Liverpool uh, to open my restaurant, uh, a Spanish restaurant called Pilgrim. Um, and so we, uh, I, going back a bit, in 2005, I moved, as, moved over there as a chef, but then um, I worked for the Movember Foundation uh, in the UK. Uh, and Europe for about 10 years over there. Um, my, a couple of my high school buddies here in, uh, in Melbourne came up with the idea for Movember back in 2003 um, and I was one of the original 30 guys who took part in the first moustache camp, first growing campaign here. But uh, in about 2007, it started to pop up um, in the UK and people, you know, obviously, if anyone knows Movember knows the meteoric rise and, and, and popularity of it. So I kind of stepped out of the kitchen for about 10 years and, was doing all the events and um, I guess the community engagement uh, and I ran some of the European campaigns. Uh, and then in, two, uh, in about 2017, I, I stepped out of November and, and went back into the back doing some pop-ups, some food pop-ups and some cooking uh, with a couple of mates. We launched um, this Spanish food concept called Pilgrim, which was a, a live-fire Spanish restaurant that drew its inspiration from the Camino de Santiago, which is a pilgrimage across Spain um, to Western Spain, to the resting place of St. James. Uh, and, and the concept behind Pilgrim was essentially that the menu would follow a specific route of the pilgrimage. Um, so you'd have a rotating, we could rotate menus. One could be the Portuguese route, where it would follow the Portuguese Camino. There would be the Camino Frances, which starts in the French Pyrenees. Um, there's the Camino Madrid that starts in Madrid and all meander through Spain, across to Western Spain. So that was the concept behind pilgrim so we did a couple of pop-ups sold out pop-ups in london and then um we went appeared on the netflix program million pound menu uh which is kind of like kind of like a shark tank style kind of reality show where they you basically it's, it's just for food concepts and restaurant concepts where you kind of pitch the idea to a bunch of hospitality investors um and Hopefully your idea sticks and and you can get some funding. So we we, we appeared on this Netflix show and and kept making it through. Uh, and made it through to the finals, appeared on the show, and then eventually won um, invest We won the significant investment to go and open a restaurant far from this restaurant group that was based in Liverpool. So we moved, we packed up and moved to Liverpool and opened our restaurant in um, in June 2019. Um, so we can't, yeah I'd had this. Quite sedentary life in, in, in London, or based out of London, and then got back into the food game and found myself up in Liverpool, of all places, uh, back on the pans, working in front of this massive fire pit, um, launching this restaurant. And then I came back in March, like that was obviously 20, um, 20- yeah, I came back in March last year to visit some family and do a couple of pop up pilgrim events here um, in Fitzroy. And came back for a couple of weeks, uh, and then got stuck. He came back on the ninth of March, and sort of flew in just before it all all the shit hit the fan globally. And yeah, and got stuck here and did the Melbourne lockdowns like everyone else. And um, and then made the pretty uh, heartbreaking but necessary decision um, that you know watching what was going on back in the UK with COVID, to um to to walk away from the to step away from the business and step you know, get everything in my house put into storage. Uh, and then make the decision to stay here in Melbourne. So here I am. So it's been a. It's been a-
1: Look, let's dig a bit deeper there because you've built this restaurant over a couple of years and really it was only still in its first year as, a, as bricks and mortar.
0: Yeah. And, um,
1: and you've had to let that go. Take us through that whole process. Was that quite a hard thing to do?
0: Oh uh, yeah, it was well. It was, I think anyone who's had any kind of uh, hospitality venue you knows you, you put your, your your blood and soul into it. And it was, um, yeah, it was it was such a whirlwind journey. You know, the actual going on this. We we'd done this pop ups in London, and then we were looking for a, a site in London to try and do something more significant, a bit more of a residency, and we couldn't find anywhere. They were all ghetto kitchens in old pubs, and and then it was we we almost thought it we was time to give up on Pilgrim altogether. We just didn't think, because we didn't have any money to start a restaurant. We had this brilliant idea, um, but we just couldn't, you know, that's finding the money to, to, to get the next, to the next level. And then this guy who works in PR, I mean, said, mean, have you guys seen this million pound menu? You should apply for it. So we're like, oh, shit. I don't know. It's a reality show. I don't Do we go on this? You know? fuck, it looks a bit lame. Um, and then we were like, look, let's give it a shot. And they rang us back within about five minutes. And like, this concept's brilliant. We want you on the show. You go into the, you know, went through the whole process. And then went to, within about a month, we were on the, tea, you know, in the final stages of this show. And then, yeah, appeared on the show. And this guy who owns about 10 pubs and restaurants up in and around Liverpool basically said to us, Look, I don't, we were, we were seeking, you know, half a million pounds of capital to, to open our bricks and mortar site in London. And he's like, Look, I don't have the money to give you, but I've got, I'm building this massive food market. Uh, food hall up in Liverpool, on the mezzanine levels, of a sixty-seat flagship restaurant. If you guys want to move to Liverpool, I'll build. You, I'll build you the restaurant. Um, you know, and you guys just walk in. You tell us how you want it, and blah blah blah. So we, it was an offer. that You know, one of those offers too good to refuse. So we literally packed up our lives in London and moved up to Liverpool, myself and my two mates, um, and like. So yeah, that was it. And then we, after a couple of months, the restaurant opened. Um, we were a little bit more kind of, I'd say, not fine dining, but certainly the Liverpool food scene. While it's burgeoning and there's some really great places, we certainly were a bit of a shock to the system. There, um, we were selling Galician ribeye beef, you know, kilogram steaks for ninety pounds, like the fifteen-year-old ex-dairy cow, magnificent produce. Um, so we had a, a real battle on, on our hands to sort of educate people about um, what we were, what we were trying to. Um, trying to serve a pilgrim and then yeah it, it went brilliantly well within a few months we'd garnered a couple of massive reviews in the guardian and the times and then we were awarded the michelin Bib Gourmand in 2020 um and the only liverpool restaurant to get one so by the end of yeah the end of um 2019 we were we'd hit the ground running we were we'd take liverpool by storm we were working you know as you do massive hours and loving it and then uh and then yeah 2020 rolled in and winter in Liverpool is required, bit quiet, so I took the opportunity to, to get out there and, and get out here, I should say, and, and come and visit family and friends and and then yeah, it just went to went to shit. So it was it was absolute it was, yeah, it was really heartbreaking. Um, it was a, but it was one of those things where when the world's trying to tell you something, uh, you've got to the universe's done something you've got to kind of follow it. And I don't know how I got out of that situation, um, the COVID situation back in the UK, but to watch what's happened over the last twelve months. There has been heartbreaking you know, for not just people in uh, in my mates in Liverpool, but for everyone I know in the UK. So, you know, th- I don't think there's any better place in the world to be right now with uh, with this COVID situation than in Melbourne. So, yeah, from, from something terrible, you know, something quite amazing has happened. So, very lucky. What's it been like for
1: you? You're away for 15 years to come back to Melbourne and then be part of that lockdown. What's the experience been like the last sort of 10 months for you?
0: Well, it's been, it's been, it's hard to say. It's, so I came back, came back and I was staying with my mate up in Fitzroy, my mate and his wife. Um, so I just kind of landed on them for a couple of weeks. And then, you know, within two weeks of getting here, by the end of March, we were in that first lockdown. So I basically got to hang out with my best mate um and just drink beer and play guitar for the first <laughs> lockdown um, until you until kind of overstayed my welcome a little bit i think but um you know no mate's going to kick you out in the middle of a pandemic so so that was the first lockdown and then we came out of in june i think it was where the whole of melbourne was out for kind of for a month and everyone went crazy so that was uh great i was helping a, a mate at his restaurant out in hawthorne um reopen and um and did that and then the second lockdown happened but yeah, I, I, a couple of days before I actually met this girl who uh, uh, was this amazing girl and I'm basically we, I went for dinner a couple of days before the lockdown, second lockdown in July and uh, and haven't left and I'm still here. I'm sitting in the house now. Um, so, I, yeah, it's been this whirlwind um, relationship in the middle of uh, forged out of COVID. So I've had a absolutely fantastic time. So I, <laughs> I, I don't know how – I feel really guilty that, I'm having, that I've had such an amazing um, – experience with COVID um, when it's been so – well, it, I've had bad experiences as well, obviously, with the restaurant. But, yeah, so lockdown for me has been uh, fantastic.
1: You also turned your hand to launch the Fitzroy Feast, uh, a live fire barbecue and bar on Rose Street uh, Market. Um, can you tell us a bit about the ideas behind that and and a bit about it?
0: Yeah, so I um, – Coming out of lockdown, obviously, I needed to do something. Um, and Adam, is, uh, Adam. I went to school with Adam Ferrante, who's the owner of Rose Street Artist Market. Um, and I've known him since high school um, and we've worked together before on a few different projects. And when we were coming out of lockdown, there was all the restrictions with how many people were capped inside in all the Melbourne restaurants. You know, some of these smaller restaurants, neighbourhood restaurants, only had you know, room for a dozen people. Um, and, and and a lot of them didn't have outdoor space. So the idea behind Fitzroy Feast was pretty simple. We were like, well, Adam's got the Roast Street Artist Market is this, that outdoor courtyard. Um, we can – the idea was that I built – we were going to do basically a little food market and and offer space for people, restaurants and chefs to come and cook um, because they didn't – you know, if they were lacking outdoor space or, or dining space with the restrictions on patrons. Um and it, um, so I went ahead and I found a, a blacksmith over in um, North Melbourne who I got him to build me a custom fire pit. It's a massive, massive, yeah, massive broad, steel fire pit with a couple of grills and got my brother to, to get me some scaffolding so I could hang some, uh, some meat and vegetables over the fire and smoke them. Uh, and then we launched it in, at the end of November last year. Um, and then, yes, yeah, so we did about four weeks in December. Uh, every Friday it was uh, a great success. Um, had tables out there, big outdoor space. Um, I, I think we were, it was a bit unfortunate, well not unfortunate, it was very fortunate for the restaurants but we didn't realise that when we were setting all this up that all the restaurants in the city of Yarra and around Melbourne were going to be given outdoor space um a car park. So we kind of watched everywhere open outdoors at the same time we did. So um, that kind of restricted the size of how big that could get. But yeah for four weeks we, uh, we had a fantastic time um, and then around about Christmas time, I uh, came off my bike uh, playing a game of chicken with a car at a roundabout and uh, came off second best and managed to injure some ligaments in my knee. So I've basically been out of action since uh, since Christmas. So I've had to put my uh, the event, the Fitzroy Feast, and my knee on ice until March, I think. So so yeah, that's uh, that was the Fitzroy Feast. So it's um. Yeah, it's a great concept. We're looking forward to relaunching it again, hopefully around the end of March, uh, once I can walk again.
1: How are you feeling about uh, re-entering a career as a chef and having such highs and and, then massive hurdles to get over? What's your thoughts about moving forward as a chef after that big break and then coming back into it with such weird circumstances?
0: Yeah, look, it's, uh, it's... it's it's a mugs game, isn't it? There's not a it, it, as you get a bit older in the game too. You, it, it's definitely a young bucks game. But it's 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 like the mafia. You know, just when you when you think you're out, you get pulled back into it. <laughs> um, and it's it's an incredible it's an incredible career to have. Like food for me has been has allowed me to travel the world for the last 25 years, essentially. So I've you know, and I'm sure a lot of chefs and even a lot of in front of house hospitality staff. You know, you could drop. You can drop us anywhere in the world, in any city in the world, and not only will we survive, we can probably thrive. Um, you know, it's it's an incredible career to have, um, and it's it, it opens so many opportunities. It's it's a tough, it's certainly tough work. There's no doubt about that. Um, but yeah, coming back into it, it's, you know, I definitely like doing my own thing. It's I think that's one of the great things about about food is that you know there's really no limits to your creativity and what you can do with it. People love, especially in cities like Melbourne and London. You know, people love um, that experience of, of eating out and dining out and, and going out for beers. And um, so, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a scary. It's certainly scary as you get older. Going, oh, shit, I've got to. Can my body take it anymore? I'm, you know, I'm forty 48 years of age now, and like my, I've trashed my body like most chefs have for for a long time, and. It's uh, it certainly takes its toll doing doing long hours, but at the same time, you know, I love it, so it's uh, it's exciting at the same time.
1: You mentioned how important food is to your life and um, being drawn back into the industry, but what drew drew it to you in the first place?
0: Well, I kind actually kind of fell into it. I before I, I spent about a decade floating between Canada and and the mountains of Australia and New Zealand. I I, I left melbourne when i was in 1992 i think it was to to go on a working holiday visa to uh to the rocky mountains uh, having never seen snow and and fell in love with the mountains and 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 snowboarding um back in the early 90s and and literally spent the next decade trying to do everything i could to, to spend as much time on the mountains and traveling and traveling as well so i kind of started out um you know essentially and, and um back in the early 90s and making pizzas at restaurants and things like that. And then slowly, as um, I continued to do that, worked my way up um, and from sort of being a commie chef all the way through the ranks until um, until kind of 2005, 2006, when I was in London at Oxo Tower, you know, sort of heading up a brigade of sort of 40 to 50 chefs in a, in a really big um, well-known restaurant. So... It kind—I kind of fell into it. It really—it it allowed me to keep traveling. You know, I could snowboard all day and work at a restaurant in the, in the evening, um, which allowed me to one not only make money and ski all day, but you also got fed, so um, you could, your money went further as far as uh, going to the pubs for a little bit of break ski. So, yeah, I kind of—I kind of fell into it um, through lifestyle. It, it afforded me a lifestyle that I, I wanted to pursue, and, um, and the same when I went to London, it was. Um, you know, I went to London to work as a, as, a, as a chef and it was only when Movember sort of popped, it started booming that I, I was able and very fortunate to be able to, to step, out of, um, step out of the kitchen and go and work on, on Movember for, for close to a decade.
1: Chefing isn't the only um, interest that you have in food. You also co-founded Root & Bone magazine with a couple of mates. Uh, tell us about that magazine and what you're doing
0: yes so root and bones are um a free quarterly magazine um food and food and drink magazine uh, in london that yeah started with three mates um back in i think two thousand and thirteen we had all worked um together on the Movember cookbook we did, we published a Movember cookbook um called cook like a man um back over into from sort of two thousand and ten we did couple of little cookbooks that were then merged into one and published by Pam Macmillan so the four of us had all worked on this um, this November cookbook um, and then we really enjoyed we worked really well together we had some really great ideas for articles and we were pitching pitching some of these articles um, to some of the you know traditional food media in the UK and they didn't really want to touch us we had some pretty out there uh, one of the some of the first articles we pitched were and we tattooed a pork belly um, with squid ink. Um, we took it to, our, to my tattooist and, and, yeah, and we did some did some really crazy stuff. Basically, we cooked, some, cooked noodles, ramen noodles in a laundromat dryer. We're just really out there kind of fucking crazy um, articles, but no one wanted to touch it, so we're like, bugger it, let's just start our own magazine. And we kind of based Root & Bone very closely off uh, Impress and Beat Magazine here in Melbourne. Um, how they you know delivered weekly and, um, in every cafe, and everyone picks them up. or used to pick them up, uh, and read them cover to cover because it was the, the 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 inside scoop on on the music scene in Melbourne. So that was the kind of framework for what Root and Bone we wanted Root and Bone to be. We wanted it to be a, a magazine for chefs and the front of house crew. That when we delivered a bundle of fifty of them to your cafe and restaurant, the first people that took them were the the crew that worked there. So it was a real no nonsense rock and roll. Um, style little uh, magazine that um, very quickly grew in popularity. Up. Um, I think now we're up to issue twenty-two um, over the last sort of six years, um, and it's, I think there's thirty-five thousand copies printed every quarter and distributed across probably five to six hundred key stockists and distributors and cafes and restaurants around London. So it's a real industry-focused um, magazine, and it's a lot, and We had a lot of fun with a lot of the articles. We kind of had editorial freedom so we could print what we wanted and however we wanted it, um, which I think resonated with the industry. So, um, but, yeah, a a lot of fun.
1: You mentioned uh, your involvement with Movember and particularly early on when it was just getting started as well. But in 2012 you um, wrote the Movember Cook Like a Man cookbook. Can you tell us about – Putting that together and the impact that that's had um, for Movember and the cause that it looks after.
0: Yeah, it was. So when we when we took when we started launching Movember in the UK, um, one of the co-founders of Movember, him he and his family moved over to the UK. I think in two thousand and seven to sort of set up the foundation and, and start rolling it out because it was here in Australia it was starting to go crazy. Uh, with popularity, popularity and, and, and it started to pick up in the US and, and the UK. So he moved over in 2007, and, and our, I guess how we started Movember in the UK was we pretty much saddled up and, and went to and visited almost every capital city across the UK and Ireland in those first couple of years. And, and, and our, the way we sort of built the charity over there was we'd go to, say, for example, Manchester, we'd go and find a barbershop where we could sort of bring everyone together for a, a shave down on the 1st of November and sort of create that hub. We'd go to visit um, the universities because obviously November was always big at the universities around in Australia, the UK and around the world. And then we'd go and find a really cool bar and a really cool restaurant and get all get all the crew involved and have somewhere where we could hang out. So November was really, in those early days, everyone would hang out together. So we'd sort of, across the UK... Um, and Ireland, we'd go and create these sort of touch points and these hubs, where the guys, and with the support of their, their most sisters, could go and hang out during the month and uh, and sh- share their experience. And what we found over those first few years is that the hospitality industry were uh, really were the early adapters um, of Movember, and likewise here in Australia, it was the surf and skate crew that really took Movember in those first couple of years and and ran with it, um, and hospitality followed very quickly. I think the crews in, in in restaurants really have that, you know, I don't know, not craziness about them, but the willingness to to don't give a shit. You know, they don't they don't care what they look like. Um, they're quite happy to look like a bit ridiculous with a mustache. Um, and and so, in the UK, what we did was we created all these cities of hospitality crew that were doing November. Um, And then over the next few years, you know, all these restaurants and bars would all have their own Movember events and we'd help support them where we could and, you know, drive all the traffic towards them. Um, And then we decided to do a couple of little like A5 cookbooks where we'd feature some of these Mobro chefs um, and restaurateurs and bartenders around the UK and Ireland that were doing Movember. Um, So we put together these three little books um, more as a kind of internal um, campaign um, project. And then, in twenty which sorry, which was an incredible amount of passion and time and, and effort from everyone who got involved and got behind the cause and then, in twenty twelve um, Pam Mcmillan um, brought the brought all the content that we'd shot over the over the three years prior um, and put it all together and made a hardcover cook like a man cookbook uh, and I think it sold somewhere in the vicinity of about thirty thousand copies um, but it was just it was just awesome you know, just you could see, um, obviously, all these chefs with massive mustaches, and it was a real kind of it really tied into that Movember creative. It that was each year the real sort of gentlemanly behaviour, and you know, a, a, a mobro is a gentleman and a giver of time and energy and recipes, and he's nurturing and he you know he looks after people with good meals and brings people around the table. So yeah, it was it was just a, it was just one of those perfect matches for for what Movember was about. Um, and, yeah, and a hell of a lot of fun going around shooting it and uh, eating lots of good food.
1: What sort of impact has Movember had and, and how much money have they raised with, you know, it's, it's a global thing now. Can you give us a scale of the impact that it's had?
0: Uh, I, I've, I've been out of Movember for a few years, but I think, I think there's been something like, I think well, it's, in, it's operating in around about 21 countries officially, um, I think there's been over five million people who have participated and signed up at Movember.com, uh, Mobos and Mo sisters over the years, and I'm not sure the exact figure at the moment, but it's somewhere above one billion Australian dollars has been raised. The Movember community, and I know I remember from when I was when I was working there, I think Movember funds something like 1,200 research programs around the world uh, for men's health, um, which is obviously prostate cancer. Testicular cancer and male suicide prevention. So I think it's I think it's the largest men's health charity uh, in the world at the moment, and it's doing some incredible things. It's there's um, obviously men's health had been completely neglected for, for generations, and um, it came along at, at, at the right time, and um, and I think it's having a massive impact. Um, you know, people, guys now especially, are a lot more conscious of their health, um, certainly their mental health as well. Um, there's still a long way to go. Um, but I think it's been a fantastic catalyst for, for getting men to have conversations, which was fundamentally the problem that uh, we you know we don't men don't really talk about their issues and have a head in the sand approach to their health, um, which is detrimental to our health. We tend to present late to the to doctors when there is a problem, uh, and when it comes to things like prostate cancer um, and mental health, that can that can be very 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 unfortunate because presenting too late is uh, usually the problem.
1: The hospitality industry um, is renowned for um, mental health issues and, and as you say, not addressing them as well, particularly male chefs, Um, but everyone in hospitality, it seems to be a really uh, hard industry to work in and um, unrelenting and long hours. How do you see the industry now compared to back when you started in regards to mental health?
0: I think it's come leaps and bounds. i um you know I, I was looking actually just last week at some of the mental health hospitality and mental health initiatives like the white jacket effect and um and a couple of others that have been operating here um you know it's it's great to see i think everyone there's not a chef in, on the planet who doesn't hasn't gone through some pretty tough times it's a pretty brutal can be a pretty brutal environment in the kitchen and same in front of house and bar as well you know that work hard play hard ethos of you know, finishing at 11 o'clock and needing some pretty stiff drinks to, to kind of calm you down is, is quite normal. And, but I think I think it has come a long way. I think people are, are recognising that, you know, if you're going to work 60, 70 hours a week and then and then be medicating yourself with lots of alcohol and, and drugs and things like that, that you know, it's, you're burning a candle at both ends. So it's great to see these initiatives popping up. Um, there 's a couple of great ones back in the u k as well um, I think there 's room for for more um, and it 's actually something that I personally want to start um, building here in, uh, as long as i 'm here in, in in Australia as well because i think there's there 's no doubt about it but whatever industry it is it, your mental health is is key when you 're happy or when you, you you feel much more productive you 're more motivated it's um, it, the knock on effect um, for your physical health um, is huge as well so yeah, I think it's come a long way. There's still a, a massive, long, massively long way to go, um, but it's the conversations are there, and as long as that's happening, it's you know it's not going to go backwards. It's, it can only go forwards. So bring it on.
1: You mentioned a little earlier that your love for food and the importance it plays in your life drew you back into the industry. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about your food and the way you like to cook?
0: Well, I'm a, I'm a bit of a jack of all. I've kind of I've, I'm not classically trained. I didn't go. I didn't do an apprenticeship. But having um, worked on fifty odd, sixty odd restaurants in my career, I've sort of gleaned everything. I was a sponge for everything I could possibly see and learn. Um, I, I love. I love simply cooked and prepared food. Um, obviously, the Spanish restaurant. Spanish food's probably my favourite. Having been in the UK and for the last sort of fifteen, sixteen years, and, and spending a lot of time and having a lot of friends over in Spain, it's it's just, oh, it's a mecca for me. I can't, you know, weekend trips to Barcelona and tapas in Madrid. So for me, I love Spanish food. Um, getting back into, coming out of November and, and then getting back into the game, live fire cooking was, um, was the big thing. Everyone was cooking over coals. So that, that's where I've kind of focused my sort of style um, for the last three or four years has been trying to master the flames and, and, and tame, that, tame that beast And it's been a a baptism, literally a baptism of fire. Pardon the pun, but it's 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 just such another, a whole other world to cooking. There's the flavour nuances from from different woods and um, different smokes and smoke profiles, and it's it's a it's a beast that you're not cooking with gas, where the the fire doesn't stay the same. You light it at the start of the day, and the whole kitchen hums in unison with that fire. At certain times, it's you know, it's right for for smoking um, tomatoes. At other times, it's great for charring um, courgettes or, or, sorry, zucchinis and things like that. Um, so it's it's this never-ending beast that just evolves throughout the day until sort of you know five o'clock when you fire that thing up good and proper for service. So you've got um, it's yeah, it's just an incredible uh, medium to be to be playing around with. And I think that was for me what really really got me excited coming back into cooking was you know. The notion now of working on a section, you know, on the pans and working on a solid top and doing a sauce section or fish section, I don't mind doing. But put fire underneath it, and it's a whole different kettle of fish. It's just it's so much more fun. Um, It's brutal. It's hot. It's intense. But it's um, yeah. You just I know it's hard to it's hard to describe.
1: You returned here in March last year to host some pop-up dinners and see family, and you ended up getting stuck here. That wasn't your plan. But after the last ten months, what, what's your plan moving forward? Do you see yourself staying in Melbourne, going back to to London? But what, what
0: are you thinking? Well, I don't. I, I, I don't think I'll come back to London. I don't think international. Well, I can. I've got dual citizenship, so I can. Which um, so I can go, but it's not necessarily going. It's the coming back. Um, it's. Uh, I don't like the idea of not being able to get back into australia I was very lucky that i got in march just before it kicked off I was watching on the show on tv the other day about you know they've increased the quotas from four thousand people a week to six thousand people a week and i thought to myself how do i have not come back in march I probably would be one of those people right now stuck over the seas still desperately trying to get back pilgrim the restaurant in liverpool's been well, it opened for a couple of months in summer, but it's in lockdown like everywhere else in the UK. So, so, um, but for me, I think Australia. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to be back in Australia. I think I'm definitely here for another year. Um, I'm tossing up now what to do. I want to keep doing some of these events. Um, definitely want to do something more with the Fitzroy Feast and collaborate with some other um, some other chefs. Um, I'm 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 keen to look at doing um, a mental health. Um, event as well for the hospitality industry, um, and then I'm, I'm, I'm literally looking yesterday at going interstate. Um, there's no, I'm, I'm like, i don't know if I want to spend another winter in Melbourne. So I was, I, I think I was listening to one of your podcasts with the chefs from from Noosa. So I can't remember the top of my head, but I was like, geez, that sounds awesome. <laughs> I was looking at restaurants in Noosa the other day as well. So, so yeah, it's a, it's, a, I'm, I'm excited to be saying here because at the moment Australia is relatively open. Um and it's it's such a beautiful place, and the produce here is second to none, so it's um yeah the 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 world's molester, so to speak
1: Well, Anthony, we've loved hearing your story on deep in the weeds, and uh look forward to seeing you back on the pans once your knees are okay and cooking over fire um perhaps up up north in noosa um they'll They'll welcome you up there, no doubt um mate, we loved having you on deep in the weeds, uh please keep in touch. And we'll talk again soon.
0: Will do. Thanks very much for
1: having me. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huxtable. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's hospital community suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds podcast, or email us at podcast at au. Stay safe be well.